Hi everyone and welcome to the First Thing You Think Of podcast. I'm Olivia, the founder of La Casa de los Lenguas magazine, a bi-monthly magazine about languages and cultures. And I'm Ellie, the founder of the travel brand One Globe 360. So today we're talking about the pandemic, which is, I would say, is something that is one of the first things that comes to everyone's mind when they think of China. And it's something that I wish we weren't talking about, just because I feel like you know, there's so much more to China than this. Yeah. And yeah. I don't really want to be spending an episode on something that, you know, it is, a, I don't want to say stereotype because it's, it's true, isn't it? The pandemic is linked to China. Yeah. But as I said, there's so much more to China than this. But I feel that if we weren't to spend an episode on it, then it would be sending the wrong message that if there's something mm-hmm. bad with the country, then we ignore it, which is obviously not what we do. Yeah, it's important, you know, on this podcast that we talk about everything, well, as much as possible on a particular country. And, you know, like you said, it's hard to ignore, you know, the pandemic as a topic. I mean, we're still living through the pandemic and, um, you know, the media has had a big, big role to play in, I think, people's stereotypes and sort of perceptions towards China um, and sort of linking that obviously to the pandemic. So um, I think today it would just be really interesting to sort of talk about the impact that the the pandemic has had on China and also on you know the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes and um and sort of topics like that so I just think you know it is really important to discuss and we sort of have a lot to highlight don't we in terms of the the impacts that the uh the sort of the media and the people's perceptions of the pandemic in China has sort of created if that makes sense yeah and obviously in the last well the first episode we looked a bit at how people's views of China have always kind of been negative but have gradually become more negative since the pandemic which I don't think is something surprising but the thing is that when you get negative views of something that there are you know a few people and you could possibly even say groups of people Mm -hmm. that don't just have negative views but they act on them and that is where we've seen this rise of anti-Asian hate crimes over the last year and a bit. So just to give some context to that, um, analysis released by the Centre for the Study of Hate and Extremism at California California State University examined hate crimes in 16 of the US's largest cities. And it showed that although such crimes in 2020 decreased overall by 7%, um, those targeting Asian people rose by nearly 150%. I mean, by nearly 150%, that's just, that's really crazy, isn't it? That is a significant, really, really significant, you know, percentage increase. Um, So, I I mean, I guess that it's kind of obvious, but what, what do these statistics tell us that what's the reality of the situation right now? Well, I think the fact that it decreased for everything else, but not for Asians is it's, yeah. it's difficult there to deny the link between that and the pandemic I think there you know yeah yeah no definitely uh and, and uh, some more information here so uh Asian American directed hate crimes increase in all but two um among some of the largest uh U.S. cities they more than doubled from 2019 to 2020 increasing from 49 to 122 so again did you expect this number to be like lower or higher does it surprise you what do you think it tells us if I'm correct I think that I don't know if the percentages or like 49 hate crimes increased to 122 hate crimes 
Yeah. I'm not too sure, but I think if it was a percentage, it would have said. But if it's just single crimes, I personally thought that it would have been higher. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. Yeah. Because it's obviously very real that it is happening, but I would yeah, have thought that it would be a lot more. It's very real, isn't it? And I think these yeah. statistics really show that the they really show the impact that the pandemic has had on this rise of of anti-Asian hate crimes. Um and you know, I think I guess there's always sort of like qualitative data and quantitative data. And obviously we've got statistics here, like numerical data. Um, but what I think it'll be really interesting to sort of talk about throughout the rest of this podcast is sort of um, people's opinions and people's personal experiences. Um, I know we'll move on to, to Sammy Yang in, in a bit, um, but before we do, there's just a bit more information um, with some more sort of statistics. So the analysis revealed a surge in cities such as New York, where anti-Asian hate crimes rose from three in 2019 to 28 in 2020, an 833% increase. Los Angeles and Boston also experienced notable rises from seven to 15 and six to 14, respectively. Meanwhile, Washington DC experienced a decline from three to six, sorry, six to three anti-Asian hate crimes. Chicago remained unchanged with two crimes each year. So we'll move on now to uh, who I was just mentioning, which is someone called uh, Sammy Yang. Um, So this is talking about anti-Asian hate crime at the start of the pandemic. So Sammy Yang thought something was wrong when she went to her doctors in Berlin and was immediately told she couldn't enter the building. Other patients were buzzed in through the door, but Miss Yang, a makeup artist from China, had to wait outside in the cold. Eventually her doctor emerged. Her first words were, this isn't personal, but dot, dot, dot. Then she said, we're not taking any Chinese patients now because of this Chinese virus. I had no chance to explain myself and say that I was healthy. Sammy then replied, in the weeks since the virus spread around the world, multiple accounts of discrimination against Chinese nationals or anyone who looks East Asian have emerged, including from Asia and Chinese majority societies. Discrimination against China and Chinese people is not anything new. Xenophobia is a well-documented phenomenon that has existed for centuries. So do you think the rest of us take it for granted that we don't experience things like this? Yeah, I can't think of a time that I would have had to experience anything to that extent just because of my nationality, where I come from, or I guess in this case as well, how I look. Um, and for me, it's it's difficult to get my head around that things like this happen to people because of that. And I think it's because there's nothing that we can, you know, before when we were looking at Brazil, for example, we made links um, with a past dictatorship to Hitler. With India, I can't think off the top of my head, but I'm sure we made links to other things. With this, I can't even begin to think of a link that I am aware of that I can understand myself to begin to understand this. Yeah, it, it really just, I mean, the the hate crimes that have emerged as a result of the pandemic, but let's not, not ignore the fact that this idea of xenophobia has been, it has existed for centuries as well. So it's clearly been an issue before, but I think the pandemic has heightened this issue, hasn't it? It's made it more, um, well, I think maybe in the media, the media have broadcasted more of the sort of discrimination and um, the sort of the hate crime, you know, towards towards China and Chinese people. Um, and, and why do you think people generalize like this? You know, as, as, as sort of inverted commas, if they are Asian or, China, or Chinese, they must be linked to the virus in some way. Because if we think about it literally, this just, it just doesn't make sense because it just, yeah, it just doesn't make sense. You know, not every person like from China like had has or had the virus or not every not every Chinese person in the UK 
had or has the virus. Do you know what I mean? Like, why do people, why are people, I know it's really hard to think why, because it's almost like we're trying to justify it when it's not justifiable. It's just really awful. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts to that? These generalizations that people are making. I think it might go down to the fact of like when we were looking at the origins of the media before um, that the whole thing behind that was for our ancestors it was just finding out if there's something dangerous out there so I think when you find out through the media that there's something dangerous out there we immediately want to protect ourselves and I think it's natural in our mind then if we know that there's such a threat out there like coronavirus has been um to at the first thought of it think oh my gosh I've got to stay away from that but I think that's that's a natural thought in our mind but what's not natural is to act on it in the way that people do yeah and then thinking back to the very start of the pandemic when you know it was emerging in the media that there was this new this new virus and that it, it had originated from China and um you know that back to sort of that February March time or even sort of January early as that 2020 what do you remember about it like what can you remember about the lockdown in Wuhan and what were your initial thoughts of it all well I just remember kind of um seeing a part of it on the news and it was kind of where they were dragging them out of their houses I don't know if it was to get tested or because they had been tested positive and they were taking them somewhere else but I remember like a lot of people thinking you know that's a bit uh, harsh is a bit of an overreaction like you couldn't imagine that happening here and it, it very much felt like it was it was worlds away what was happening and like it, it yeah. didn't feel like it would ever come here yeah I just I, I completely like I agree I, I remember sort of hearing about it in the news and as January then went to February and obviously then February went into March it became very much apparent that this was a very serious issue um, but I remember people talking about it at the start like it was oh it's just the flu oh it's just it's just you know it's not that serious. It's not going to spread, you know, globally. It's nothing to worry about. And then it really, I feel like we got hit with it, right? Just overnight, it was like, no, 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 this is really, really serious. Um, you know, because it obviously in Europe, it, Italy was the main country really where it started, like cases were spreading really quickly. And I think obviously, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about even just with the UK and obviously the pandemic. And I'm sure we'll, we'll cover like the UK on a later sort of podcast series but you know I think the way we the only way we found out about the pandemic and what was going on was just from the media and the news wasn't it it was just yeah. what we were watching and it's how they perceived it was then interpreted as to how we perceived it if that makes sense I mean that's how the media works really as we've talked about the whole time so I feel like really I just got all my information from you know as I said last week I really just watched BBC News that's my main sort of source of news um and I found like I really got all my news from there, really. Um, but how it was broadcasted, I feel like it just changed, didn't it? From the start of the pandemic to sort of during. And obviously we talked about last week, sort of the influence of, um, of you know, like Donald Trump and key political figures and how they influence our perspectives of the pandemic. So, yeah, it's crazy to look back, don't you think? Like to look back at like, the lockdown in Wuhan and this new virus that we just had no idea about. And it has just turned into... A global pandemic it, I just I feel like none of us really predicted anything like this at all um, so again I'll, I'll give some more sort of background information to all so authorities were slow to react to initial reports of a mystery illness circulating at a wet market in Wuhan in late 2019 which meant that millions could move around the country in the days before the Chinese New Year which is a traditional high travel period 
On January the 23rd, two days before the country celebrated Chinese New Year, the streets of Wuhan fell silent as 11 million people were put under tight restrictions, while face masks and social distancing became mandatory. While China's rigorous lockdowns may have initially seen, been seen as harsh and possibly over the top, the official data one year on appears to justify such measures, as reports claim there has been a comparatively low death toll and caseload. China's had just under just under 100,000 recorded infections, with only 4,800 deaths linked to COVID-19. And we'll discuss how reliable this is a bit later on. But again, what I've just said there, what are your thoughts on all of that? Yeah, I mean, um, it, it does raise our questions. It says we'll discuss later on how reliable it is. Um, but I personally, I didn't know about the Chinese New Year and how travel was so important with that. Um, yeah. But I think we were, we're all kind of aware um, about the fact that the Chinese government didn't, was slow to react to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's that's been quite a controversial part of it, hasn't it? And obviously in terms of Chinese politics and the Chinese government, um, lots of people have opinions on that. Um, but taking away that, would you think that there's any government who would have wanted to take ownership of it? Do you think that any government would try to to push it one side and try to say, oh, it's not as bad as it is? I think it's so difficult to think about that, isn't it? You sort of think, oh, as a, as a UK government, what would we have done? if that if it had happened here I really don't know and I feel like we might never know what all these different countries sort of responses would would be if it happened in their own country um yeah I really don't know honestly I really don't know um it's it's one of those things where I hope it never happens again in in our lifetime so um you know it's hard it's difficult to think isn't it about sort of using China as an example, because obviously China is the only example we can really, com- we haven't got anything else to compare it to, right? In terms of this has just happened in our lifetime. This has been the, you know, the really the, the big pandemic. Um, and there's little sort of other examples. There are a few, there are f- not many, if at all, other examples in, in recent sort of, you know, history, looking back hundreds and hundreds of years ago, really. I know in, was it 1918? There was like the Spanish flu. Yeah. And it's it'll be interesting to sort of see how how that was perceived and how that sort of was interpreted in terms of, oh, like, you know, was it Spain? Was it their fault? Did they do this? Did they do that? Do you know what I mean? It's so hard to sort of reflect on like, oh, was it just how China behaved towards it or acted on it? Was it just because it's China and it, they're this and that? Or would every country have acted in the same way? I feel like we'll never know, really. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because we're always speaking hypothetically. And with every government that we discuss and compare it to, like, not everyone's going to agree with the workings of it. Like, personally, I don't know much in itself about the Chinese government, if you talk, quiz me on it. But I know that it's a communist state. And, um, yeah. you know, I kind of know that maybe I don't agree with everything that they do. And I'm sure a lot of people don't either. Um, and if you look at another government, then there's going to be the same things. There's going to be things that you agree with and don't agree with. And kind of if you're saying, well, if you were to say, would another government have done the same thing as China? Would another government have wanted to take responsibility for it straight away if they didn't have to or they felt they didn't have to? You know, it's it's quite political if we talk like that, isn't it? And it's, it's quite controversial. Yeah. 
yeah there's so much to it isn't there you know like like we've always said with with every country there's so much to you know to a country whether it's you know politics the culture the way of life traditions customs you know there's so much to it um but yeah I guess we'll never know really if it was the UK where the origin of of the virus was what would our government how would our government have reacted what if it was America what if it was Australia what if it was you know any other country well I guess we will never know really um well I hope we'll never get to know I hope we never have another pandemic in our our lifetime um but yeah it's one of those things where I think people will have different opinions on that but I think overall really from my point of view it's like we'll never really know exactly what happened if that makes sense like exactly how the Chinese government really responded and how they perceived it and exactly what happened um i know there are investigations ongoing i think by the who to sort of find out how it all happened and just sort of investigating the sort of the start of it all but it's difficult isn't it to sort of go that that far back to it all and and sort of see um but we'll, we'll go on and talk a bit more about the government the government now um sort of relating obviously to the pandemic so even in those early days, authorities also sought to tightly control the spread of, inf- of information, which is an issue that has been discussed numerous times over the last year. Doctors who tried to warn each other about the virus were uh, reprimanded and ordered to keep silent. The most famous of these was Dr. Li uh, Wenliang, uh, who died himself later from the virus. So do you think that these statistics can be believed? Like, Do you think the actions of the government have contributed well sorry two questions really yeah do you think that the statistics can be believed and also talking back about this sort of the anti-asian hate crimes do you think that the actions of the government have contributed the most to the increase of the anti-asian hate crimes well for the first one can they be believed i know there's been a lot of things about that and personally i don't feel like i know enough about like a like i don't feel like i'm in a position to say oh they lied about this they lied about that you get what i mean yeah Um, but just talking as like a normal person who probably knows the basics like everyone else does um I would say that definitely questions arise they do seem a little bit too good to be true and just taking what I kind of know about the government um I'd be a bit apprehensive to say I 110% believe it and for the second question and if their actions have contributed to the increase of anti-Asian hate crime I personally think that they have um just because even if it's like some sort of misinformation like you know when people say oh like the Chinese government did this the Chinese government did that and kind of like people got the wrong end of the stick maybe a little bit or even if I think for me the how I see it is probably what would have contributed the most is at the start of the pandemic where they try to like keep us quiet yeah Um, Mm -hmm. I think that is something that will play in a lot of people's minds and that that is where kind of blame would go and I think that probably would fuel um, anti-Asian hate crimes but again the most important thing there is as I uh, said here we've spoken about this a lot before in this case I think it's so important more than ever to just keep in mind that people aren't their governments and I think this is a prime example because in this case the Chinese people are victims themselves as well because they've had the virus not all of yeah. them, of course, but, you know. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 such an interesting one, isn't it? You know, in terms of like the statistics and there's been so much in the media and so many opinions about can we believe the statistics? How real are they? How, you know, 
it's so difficult I, I again like like you said I agree I feel like I don't have enough information to fully answer that like completely or do I think their statistics can be believed yes or no I do struggle to understand how there's been under 100,000 recorded infections with only 4,800 deaths when the population of China is over a billion and from my experience of being in China I just know how like the big cities like Beijing and Shanghai the I mean everyone's together whether it's crossing the road sat in a restaurant on on the metro everyone was of really close proximity and I don't know I just think like it surely like must have spread so quickly but then maybe they just acted quick really quickly and they kept it under control but I think some of the factors about China as a country in terms of its population and then sort of population density into certain certain cities I struggle to believe that there have been under 100,000 recorded infections when obviously here in the UK we've had well we've had over 100,000 deaths like let alone recorded infections right and you know, as a country geographically, our population is what, 69 million, you know, we're not, we don't all live as closely together um, a pop, in terms of population density. So I don't know, but I can't say for sure, you know, like I said, there, there's so much to it, um, so much probably data and statistics and things that happen that I guess, like I said, we probably will never find out. Um, but you know, I know it's talked a lot in the media, a lot about in the media, isn't it? You know, about the statistics from China. Um, but, you know, it, I don't think we'll ever probably fully find out truly how many people passed away in, in China from COVID-19 and how many infections they had. Um, and in terms of the actions of the government and, you know, contribute to the, to the increase of anti-Asian hate crimes. Again, I, I think the, the, what you said really sort of that I really took from what you said was, um, you know, the Chinese people are not their government, you know, they're not their government. And I think they have been impacted by their government's actions and also by people's perceptions of their government's actions, which has led to this rise in in, in sort of the hate crimes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's so much to it, isn't there, overall? Um, and we, we've, we've spoken about this a lot before, but in this case, you know, just how important, I know we've been talking about the, the government how, but like, just how important do you think it is to remember that people aren't their governments just picking up on that point you said because I know I could think about even just in the UK and some of the decisions that our governments make and it makes me think like oh my goodness I don't want people from different countries to think that like I decided this or I I share the same opinion or view as this or what Boris Johnson says do you know what I mean just how important yeah. do you think this is in terms of keeping into perspective like the pandemic yeah I think it's so important because it's like people in a lot of ways they are victims of the pandemic um so it's yeah they're obviously not their government are they no they're not at all and you know I, I I even think of things like Brexit here in the UK you know I I um well I was 16 when when the vote was so I couldn't vote but I would would have voted to remain and I won't get all political here but I would have voted, voted to remain I would have voted to remain in the EU as a language student I really enjoy like learning Spanish and I've, I felt that being part of, of the EU was a really positive thing especially like as a language student and obviously with me about to go on my year abroad and everything um, so like Brexit like is not a reflection of, of me and how what my beliefs are but as a as, an, as a country or as like a, a nation as such like that's what people probably think that we are if that makes sense they probably think oh 
well, everyone think everyone wants to, you know, leave the EU, whatever, or they're Britain. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, not yeah. every decision is actually wanted by every citizen. So in terms of talking about China, you know, not every citizen will agree with what their government does or says or whatever. And I think that's really important to keep into perspective. Yeah. So just having a little bit more, uh, a deeper look at censorship in China surrounding the pandemic. Now, if you see photos from Wuhan, it kind of looks as back to normal. For me, it's the photos of the the New Year's, um, not the Chinese New Year, like the New Year that we would have celebrated. Um, yeah, it just looked like normal. But obviously, censorship has made it a lot more difficult to get a full sense of how Wuhan and other parts of China have coped with the strict lockdown measures. But what is certain is that this past year has taken a psychological toll, according to um, recent interviews with Wuhan residents, some of whom were worried about talking to international media. Um, One of them said that the pandemic has certainly left something behind, even if it's not visible on the surface. Um, But there is certainly trauma deep inside many people in this city, including many details of the past year that I don't think I wanted to look at clearly until now. And one thing that um, really stood out to me there, what he said, what, well, not what he said, what an observation that was made was that they were a bit scared to talk to international media. Yeah, I, I, why do you think, why do you think that is really? Because they thought the media might sort of twist what they've said or, or they're just scared to sort of, broadcast what had happened or their thoughts around it why why do you think they were particularly scared to talk yeah I mean you brought up a thing there that I, I wouldn't have thought about um in terms of like maybe the media with Twister I never thought about that the first thing that came to my mind was um what are they allowed to say um and I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people would think is what are they allowed to say but then am I st- using a stereotype against the Chinese government or if I didn't say that, would I be being naive? Yeah, I think I, I didn't really think about that fully, actually. You know, what are they allowed to say? Were they were they scared that if they spoke to the media and it got broadcasted that they would be, you know, punished for speaking out against their, against their country or, you know, I can't say for sure. I don't I, I, I'm not saying I do completely understand or no, but I'm saying potentially that could be like you said, you know, could be one of the reasons they were scared to sort of reveal or say what happened or say the truth or say, you know, go against what the government had said in their messaging. or I, You know, it, it's so difficult, isn't it, to sort of know exactly. But potentially, yeah, that may have been why they were sort of scared to talk. Um, and do you think this puts into perspective even more just how wrong these hate crimes are? Do you think we should see them as as victims more than anything else? Yeah, I think that puts into what, what we both discussed isn't it that they're victims more than more than anything else because well as you said you know there's things details of this past year that I don't think I wanted to look at clearly until now I mean that that is something that clearly separates the people from the government isn't it because it's the government who imposed those restrictions on the people and it's the people who are having to come to terms with the impact of those restrictions on their lives and that that clearly shows you know they're two distinct different things um and they should be seen that way I think that's a prime example of that of that and then we'll move on to sort of censorship before it was declared a pandemic now so When coronavirus first emerged in China, thousands of messages of public outrage appeared on Chinese social media, asking whether local governments were covering up another SARS-like virus. 
While government censors routinely mute anti-government messaging on platforms like Sino Weibo, they were of such a large volume that it was impossible to get rid of them all. This is because when facing major disasters, the Chinese government often scrambles to react and censors can be slow to act. In, the January, in January and February, many media outlets published hard-hitting investigations knowing that they wouldn't be deleted. These were widely shared on social media. Later, as Beijing came up with a propaganda strategy, these reports were stifled. Can you imagine this being done in our country? No, I, like, not, no. I mean, like, there will always be things that maybe our government will kind of keep a little bit of a secret, but I don't think to that extent. I think every country has censorship to some extent, but I don't think exactly to that extent it would happen here in the UK. Yeah, I agree. I don't I don't think it would happen on like the same sort of level, I guess, um, as sort of is seen here. Um, well, I'll move on as well, just to say, just to add, blame was being pointed in all directions. So in mid-January, Chinese President um, Xi Jinping, I apologise if I've, I've said his name wrong, suddenly became absent in China's media. He was not seen in public and pictures vanished of him from the front pages of traditional government outlets like People's Daily. There was some speculation that he was avoiding any blame. Blame shifted in Chinese media and social media towards Wuhan's leadership, with papers like Beijing News writing unusually critical commentaries asking, why didn't Wuhan let the public know sooner? So do you think there was a right or wrong way to deal with this? And do you think that it could have been dealt with in a better way? And if so, how? I feel like that goes back to the thing of it that if we're just talking like not about any specific government not on any views of the Chinese government just talking like straight that is there any right way to deal with with this type of thing I mean there's mistakes that you can make and then you look back and realize that it was a mistake but I mean I think it's difficult not to make mistakes in these types of situations yeah obviously in terms of like the Chinese government themselves you know, again, I don't feel like I'm in a position to say, oh, they should have done this, they should have done that. But looking at it from an outsider, the censorship seems to be a problem. Um, and just how uh, I think I'm correct in saying this, they weren't exactly giving uh, WHO a lot of information about it. But when yeah. I watched a video on that, the WHO was saying that although that it made the news that we weren't getting a lot of information out of China, they said that they also weren't getting a lot of information out of all of the countries. Yeah. So it's not just China. It's, you know, and that's the thing, isn't it? You know, it's not going to be necessarily broadcasted that in BBC News, for example, that the UK didn't give certain information to the WHO, will it? But it will be broadcasted that, oh, China didn't give all the information that the WHO requested. Do you know what I mean? Every sort of, I guess, country's media has their own back, if that makes sense. They'll sort of, like back themselves you know um but what i find really interesting is is how there seems to be some slight sort of tension between different media outlets in china so you know how i said here papers like the beijing news writing unusually critical commentaries asking why didn't wuhan let the public know sooner says so there clear claims to be some sort of idea of sort of tension here between the different regions regions in in china um so, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot to the media, isn't there? And obviously the Chinese media is very different to the media we have here. I think that's important to remember as well in terms of like the government um, 
influence, I guess you want to call it government influence. And um, obviously, you know, the social media in China is very different. They don't have the traditional Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. They have their own social media. Um, so that in itself is very different to, to, to here in the UK. Um, but I'll, I'll just finish um, talking about, um, well, yeah, sort of talking about this um, particular story. So uh, Li Wenliang has become known internationally as the whistleblower doctor who tries to warn colleagues about a SARS-like virus. Dr. Li died on the 7th of February after it came to light that he had been investigated for disturbing social order by making false comments. More than a million users took to uh, Sina Weibo to leave messages of support for him on his profile after his death, which to many terms China's wailing wall. However, posts have been periodic periodically wiped to people's frustration. What What are your thoughts on things like this? Like, do you find find this quite scary in itself? That you know, well, the whole story really, and that he he uh, he died on the seventh of February after it came to light that he had been investigated for dis disturbing social order. And then millions of users left supportive messages on his profile, but then a lot of them were then deleted. Yeah. How I, does that make you feel? I think that's really scary, isn't it? And I think that's the one major difference that you couldn't even like begin to imagine that happening to you. And I think it's really scary because it just shows like even further that what I said, you know, people aren't their governments because it's clear that, you know, he was speaking out about it, but the government was trying to stop him. You know, um, I think that's a, a a perfect example there to put that into context. But it is really scary. And I think it's the fact as well. It's Maybe if we go to people in China, well, actually, I don't know if I'm right in saying that. I was going to say, if we went and asked people in China, would they find this scary? I was going to say probably they wouldn't because they're used to it. But I feel like they would. I feel like that's the wrong thing for me to say because, you know, I'm sure he would have been scared. But he felt yeah. that he had to um you know inform people because it was a serious thing yeah but I feel like for us it's possibly even more scary because we could never imagine that happening especially in our own society something like that you know could you even imagine <laughs> I think it just highlights the differences doesn't it really between sort of our country and China um and yeah I mean it is scary isn't it to, to not only know that you know he had been he died after it then came to light that he had been investigated for in inverted commas disturbing social order and then supportive comments that were, were left for him were then wiped you know I, I I just I can't see something like this happening here you know in the in the UK um so I guess it just highlights the differences doesn't it between the two countries yeah definitely um and we've also got here, it says, during the Wuhan outbreak, a number of citizen journal uh, journalists made a notable impact internationally uh, by circumventing the Great Firewall of China to get word out of the city. These include, um, and again, my pronunciation, Chen Kuishi, Fang Bing and Zhang Zan. They racked up hundreds of thousands of views on YouTube for videos they say gave the true picture of what was happening in um, in YouTube, in Wuhan. Um, the Committee to Pro uh, Protect Journalists notes that in Wuhan, the authorities arrested several journalists for coverage that threatened the official narrative of Beijing's response. And uh, CPG says three continue to be in prison um, at the time that they were writing it. I think it's it's quite still relevant now. Um, but yeah. Um, and do you think that things like this greatly impact how people from other countries see China? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I think, I mean, I didn't, I learned something new here. I didn't, I didn't realize that, that these videos had, had appeared on YouTube, you know, depicting, you know, the, the true picture of what was happening in Wuhan. Um, yeah, I do think things like this do greatly impact how, how people from other countries see China. Um, because, you know, they, they were then sent to prison uh, and, and that's sort of showing, you know, there, there's, there doesn't seem to be that sort of, there's the, the whole idea of sort of, you know, freedom of, of speech, freedom of, you know, I guess, you know, discussion and things like that. And, and it's clear that these three journalists have, have, have been very open and honest about what's happened and they've been punished for that by being in, you know, being sent to prison. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it makes people um, think that, rightly or wrongly, that China is not a safe place. Um, I think that's probably the main thing that people take out of that. Um, you know, but I think then that goes back to, that creates a stereotype in itself, doesn't it, about the Chinese people. Um, like, oh, you wouldn't want to be in China because they do this. So I think some people, maybe the, the one that I've most heard is that that's just what life is like in China. Um, and that kind of creates the feeling that the Chinese people are okay with it, but I don't think I don't think they would be. Yeah, it's it's the, it, that's sort of a stereotype, isn't it? You know, well, that's what happens in in China. That's people just having stereotypes, just being like, oh, that's the way it is. But you're right to say that. I'm sure there are many things that happen in not just China, but in countries around the world where people agree or disagree or don't quite like it or wish things were done differently. So I think that's really important to keep in sort of in mind when, when we talk about China. Um, and, and and should we move on to conspiracies now? I think this is something really interesting to talk about. So to, sort of thinking, you know, well, the main conspiracies are focused on, you know, where did this virus come from? Where did it start? Um, I mean, before we sort of go into some of these conspiracies, what I think was good to start with is, you know, talking about what are some of the potential dangers with conspiracy theories? Well, I've got to be honest, sometimes I love watching conspiracy theories on YouTube. But the obvious thing with that is that um, it can it can divert you from the real answer, I think is one yeah. obvious part. Um but it can also cause hostility towards people who aren't to blame. Um, and as we've seen through the rise in anti-Asian hate crime, that creates problems in itself. Um, and I think those are the two major dangers of conspiracy theories. I think I can yeah. take off the top of my head. Yeah, I agree. It's It can sometimes sort of detract from the reality or the facts or the, you know, that sort of thing. Um, I'm not massively into conspiracy theories myself, but... I'm very aware of the, the, the sort of conspiracy theories associated with the pandemic. And, um, you know, if they've been spoken in the media or on social media, I know there's been a lot online just generally about people sort of speculating the origins of the virus um, and sort of creating these conspiracy theories. Um, so I'll, I'll go into sort of talk about the first cons- sort of theory uh, of where did it start? So. The intermediate animal that passed the virus from bats to people has not been identified, but researchers think it might be a wild species that is sold that is sold as food in wet markets, which typically sell live animals. Early in the pandemic, investigators investigated the uh, Huanan seafood market in Wuhan as it sold fresh and frozen animals, and many of the earliest infections were in people who had visited it. However, the lead didn't go anywhere as other early cases found weren't associated with the market. 
Viral material was identified in drains and sewage in the market, but none was found on any animal carcasses. The market remains, however, the only place where a large number of people infected at the start of the outbreak were exposed to meat and animals. It's important to establish how the virus got into the market and whether it was on an animal, says WHO team member Huang Nyang Viet, an environment and food safety researcher at the International Livestock Research Institute in Nairobi. Nyang Viet said the team identified 10 stools selling wildlife, either wild or farmed, that may have been carriers of the virus bringing it into the market from farms in southern China. Some wild animals sold for meat, such as rabbits and ferret badgers, are vulnerable to SARS-CoV-2 uh, or the similar viruses that cause acute respiratory syndrome, which is SARS. So the eating habits of the Chinese sometimes cause controversy. Do you think that as a result of COVID, this is something that they should change, i.e. some people consider it to be unsan- unsanitary or even outdated? Yeah, that's something that I've heard a lot before this pandemic is kind of like the thing of, well, the Chinese will eat anything. Um, I think the main thing that I've heard is, all oh, they eat dogs, they eat cats. Um, and I think one of the reasons that that stands out to people is because it's just not something that we do here. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, obviously, I don't know the exact science behind this, but, you know, it has been believed before this is obviously one of the main um theories that has was or as or is circling around about coronavirus but i think even before i think it is known that some i think illnesses do come from animals i think i don't think that's a new thing um yeah i think that's there i think they're called zoonotic yeah yeah i'm trying to think back to my sort of biology gcse but i think like zoonotic diseases yeah um are a thing so coming from animals to, you know, to humans. Um, yeah. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because I don't feel, again, I don't feel like I'm in a position to tell Chinese people what to do. Yeah. Um, but I, and again, when I say it's outdated, it's an insanity. Again, that might be coming from my perspective living in the UK where it's just not something that we would do. Um, yeah. I don't know if I should say that it's something that they should change because I guess it's part of their culture. Yeah. Whether it is something that they will change, who knows? In terms of if it if they should change it, I've got to be honest. I I don't know. I feel like it's it's not really our place to say, is it really, if they should change something? Because like you said, it, it forms part of their culture. Um, you know, right or wrong, I guess it could be right, could be wrong, and there will be people that say what they eat is somewhat wrong or or is absolutely fine it just depends I guess on people's perceptions of it right and what people what everyone else has grown up eating you know we do eat very different things to what people eat in China but we also eat very different things to what's eaten in um you know I'm trying to think Russia anywhere Russia Italy um any other country in the world each country has their own sort of unique um cuisine right and Yes, I think the eating habits of the Chinese do sometimes cause controversy, like we've talked about. Um, but it does, yeah, often forms part of like their culture. Um, so I don't think we could sort of say, oh, it should change. It might change as a result of the pandemic or it right, might change naturally. But it's hard to say, isn't it? Oh, you should change this or you should change that. It's hard, isn't it, to sort of demand that of, of a country. Yeah. And as I said, it's not something that we can relate to either. Um, But I guess there must be ways in which they could preserve that part of their culture, but also maybe make it more in line with, 
health and safety I guess I mean I can't think off the top of my head but you know I'm sure there's ways to ensure better safety but again what's coming to my mind now is that you've got obviously a lot of animal activists as well who are saying that it's wrong that they're eating Mm -hmm. animals which is obviously a massive topic by itself but again that just raises the thing for me is that maybe this is something that needs to to modernize a bit I don't know it's so difficult isn't it because what the other thing that's coming to my mind is in Spain where they have oh what's it called where they I can't remember what it's exactly called but you know it's the bull and they run after the bull in the bullfight yeah the bullfighting yeah that's a massive part of their culture and again you've got animal activists saying you know that it's wrong and, and all of that and that's not something that they would have said you know a few decades ago a few centuries ago um just because there wasn't such awareness of animal rights in the same way I don't know if that would change it either it's yeah I don't really want to say I have this thing on it I have this view on it or that view on it and not not saying that because I I don't want to say something controversial but because I generally don't know to be honest yeah, it's, I mean, this whole thing generally of conspiracy theories is in terms in terms of the pandemic, it's it's very, you know, everyone's got a different opinion, right? Do you know what I mean? It's like everyone's got some sort of opinion or perspective on a specific, um, you know, rumour or, or, or theory or, you know, it's so difficult to sort of say for sure or say, oh, this should be changed or this shouldn't have happened and they should change this and they should do this, shouldn't do that. It's... It's so difficult, isn't it? And it's such this pandemic is such a complex issue, right? It's caused so many different challenges, you know, for people and countries all around the world. Um, and yeah, will we ever know the, the true origin? I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I know the WHO are investigating still. Um, and do you want to sort of just finish up by by saying the other the other theory that's sort of widespread in sort of the media? Yeah, so this is um, the one about the lab leak. So the WHO's investigation homed in on the idea that the virus was leaked from a lab. However, this is now thought to be unlikely. Um, so Peter Ben Imbarek, um, a food safety and zoonosis scientist with the WHO in Geneva, who is the lead of the investigation, um, said at the press conference that the team had had lengthy discussions with staff at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and similar labs that were in close proximity. He said the leak is unlikely as the virus was unknown to scientists before December 2019. However, the team also offered two hypotheses. Is it hypotheses? <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> promoted by the Chinese government and media, um, one being that the virus or its most recent relative may have originated from um, an animal foreign to China, and that once it was circulating in people, is pos- is possible it may have um, spread on frozen wildlife and other cold packaged foods. Yeah, I mean, again, this, I mean, the lab leak has been one that's been really in the media, hasn't it, um, as sort of a, a theory around the the origins of the this virus um i think it's important to keep sort of perspective with these sort of theories don't you think you know people like to sort of discuss and i I mean i understand people people really want to find out why and how this started you know myself included i would be really interested to find out exactly how this this virus began and started um but yeah what do you think generally about about the lab leak theory I was just thinking now, it's kind of like, I think 
actually I don't want to say I think it's just come to my mind um that kind of like the lab leak theory I feel like it might just fit in with people's narrative of China like the stereotypes yeah. of yeah well, you know they made it in a lab and then they leaked it I feel like that fits in with some stereotypes that it's so much easier for people to believe yeah no I, I can understand that definitely as well and people linking certain theories to what they think China's like or what they, they they think they've heard before or you know this and that um it's it's so difficult and like I said I mean will we ever find out the true origins of this virus I, I really don't know um but what I think is so important is that we know as a as the globe we know what to do to to prevent this happening again and to prevent it happening on the same scale and with the same devastation that it's had um I think that really should be the biggest learning experience or biggest learning curve from this whole pandemic really this whole year and however many months we've had of it is just to prevent it happening again um and I know the WHO I'm sure are doing lots of work to sort of figure out you know what happened or as much as possible what happened um but yeah like you said at the start it is you know it's it's hard to sort of talk about China and not talk about the pandemic as such because obviously for the last year and a bit of our lives it really has been the one thing that everyone's talking about you know the pandemic and the impacts and everything um so yeah it's important to talk about but it's also important to keep it into perspective you know there are lots of other things to china to talk about and that's what we'll be doing when we're in the next sort of couple of weeks um well, more than a couple of weeks it's going to be you know another series on china and we're going to break down these misconceptions and stereotypes in other areas of of china as well whether that be politics language culture all those different things yeah, I think this is going to be um, a very interesting one and definitely one that's probably going to go on a bit, a little bit longer than um, the other ones. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so thank you so much, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it. Uh, well, I just hope, hope everyone's found it sort of interesting to to sort of find out the the impact that that the pandemic has had really on on the rise of um of the, the hate crimes and the role that sort of conspiracy theories and, and the government has has played in that um a very important topic to talk about um so i hope that it's been very eye-opening for for people who are listening and um yeah we've got lots of different uh well more episodes coming up over the next you know weeks um you know like i said it'll be more than a couple of weeks there's quite a lot to talk about with china um so yeah stay tuned for more episodes on china and um thank you again for all the support follow our instagram at it's uh, at the first thing you think of find us on instagram we're posting more regularly now so um yeah give us a follow check out our posts and thank you for all the support as always and see you all next week